Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 64. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, every episode, straight out of Houston, Mitchell Davis. Yeah, yeah. What's up? Green's Point in the house. <laughs> Green's Point. <laughs> yeah. Dude, when I was a kid, um, I didn't realize that's what like the part of town you were from. When I was a kid, my dad worked at Green's Point Mall. Really? In the Sears. He worked for Sears for like yep. 35 years. Yeah. That's pr- that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, Green's Point or Guns Point is a lot of people. Yeah, Guns Point was called. Affectionately yeah. call it. Yeah. 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 They, it had Sears for a long time, and Sears is a is going away now because of you know places like walmart you know you don't mm-hmm. there's not too many sears left no uh, not too many yeah that's that's an interesting bit of history i didn't know that <laughs> uh-huh. yeah we were like closer than you thought um yeah. when we were growing up yeah just right there north sort of north side of houston yeah yeah north side <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I'm, I'm, North side of Houston is is pretty much where I've lived most of my life. South side for a real brief period. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Um, What's going on, man? You doing okay? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, just uh, uh, chilling out and uh, listening to some brand new music and some music that is uh, familiar this week. Yeah. So. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 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 All um, good. Yeah, we've got uh, three albums this week, of course, as we always do. Um, the first album is Dave Douglas, his album Charms of the Night Sky, and then we're going to listen to Nick Drake, his album Five Leaves Left, and finally Dr. Dre, The Chronic. Yeah. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Um, three very interesting men to talk about this week yeah or really prolific histories is yeah that's what i'm i mean obviously you know you know these these guys we could talk you know you know for a long long period of time you know about you know what they've done especially looking into their their histories i mean it's just, it's amazing it's fun though you know just to to kind of mix it up you know the way we do uh, well yeah <laughs> it's awesome and it's just it's so you know, this is what we do every every episode when we do this and stuff. But, you know, when we get down and dirty like this and just really get into things and start researching and, you know, and you learn about their history and, and uh, all kinds of stuff about their life and you dig deep into the music, it just makes the music itself that's so much richer, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. get excited, dude. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Dave Douglas first. I mean... He was an artist I, I really didn't know that much about, uh, but but reading you know and then listening obviously to his music, I I'm really excited about you know learning about him now. I mean yeah. you know, um, I, oh. I really can't think of too many people quite like him. I mean and yeah. like you said, yeah. we you know, we're about to talk about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean um, Dave Douglas. Uh, you know we're gonna talk about this al- album Charms of the Night Sky that was released in 1998. And I was totally unfamiliar with this artist. And I think this is, this guy is like a, he's like a jazz musician's jazz musician. 
You know, I have a feeling that people that are in really into in the jazz world know who this guy is. Oh yeah. And, uh, we have, I mean, after listening to this album and reading about him and stuff, I mean, listening to this album, we have barely scratched the surface of Dave Douglas. Um, yeah. So Dave Douglas, uh, he, uh, is a jazz trumpeter, um, to, you know, in the most, uh, simple sense. Um, he's also a jazz composer and, uh, he is prolific. I mean, really super prolific. Uh, he's been, I think he started releasing albums in the late eighties, like 88, something like that. Um, and he's now got over like, uh, 40, like over 40 records yeah, now something like that yeah um of his now and he's also played on other people's records too yeah so yeah. um he was uh i was interested to read that um he sort of came into uh, prominence with john zorn's masada quartet which those albums i don't know if you remember were released like when we right when we were working at the record store like 93 yeah. 94 they released a these series of albums which john zorn did yeah yeah and he was part of that quartet yeah that was that was an interesting period i mean i, I that the first time i'd heard john zorn was that naked city record and then um yes after that like you said you know those records came out and they you know they were like they're still like i guess some of the most popular records that he put out and i it didn't really occur to me you know in the mix was you know was this guy you know you know douglas and i was like going back going okay so it's 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 fun to kind of you know go back and look at that stuff plus his stuff and and you know certain other things that he's done with other people you know like there's a a recording he did with Tom Waits that I'm I'm looking at now and I'm just like man he's he's been all over the place yeah yeah <laughs> very know? adventurous very wide ranging yeah yeah definitely and and you said like you said that in the in the simplest terms you know he's a trumpet player but I think him being a composer is really his strength. I mean, yeah. listening to this record, I mean, it's it's not like anything, you know, I would typically think of when I think of jazz music, even though it is. Yeah. I mean, obviously having an, an accordion in the mix and, and not just an accordion where, you know, you normally would hear the, the sound of accordion like we were talking about, you know, like Cajun music last week or even polka music. But this is this is much more adventurous if that even makes sense yeah for what i would think of as an accordion playing in an arrangement of any kind right uh really it really helps set the mood um you know for what this record you know overall is is trying to do i think uh that that sound that comes out of an accordion (laughs) you know and i mean it's that's one of the things that i i was really excited about when i started listening to this record uh was the the different sound and arrangement and even melody mixed in where you kind of hear kind of old you know jewish folk sounds and and then you know definitely some jazz and classical sounds um with the violin mixed in it's it's very different but very good you know um he reminds me of a guy, uh, Avishai Cohen. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Where he he's like a a violin, well, not a violinist, but a trumpet player, as well as kind of a composer that that mixes in, you know, a variety of sounds, kind of like 
you know, jazz and, and sometimes even, you know, Middle Eastern sounds. And, um, you know, I, I love the adventure in music where, you know, you can hear something that's totally not what you're used to and, and like immediately kind of gravitate towards it, which, you know, yeah. this record, I've got that feeling right off. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love these kind of musicians, too. They're just... You know, they go down one road and they, they go full speed down that road. But then once they're at the end of that road, they're like, hey, let's go down this completely different road. And uh, I admire the people that can like Dave Douglas, you know, that have the talent and, and you know, the open mind and the curiosity and the fearlessness really to just go down any road they feel like, you know. I totally agree. I, I, to have uh, a great amount of talent to actually play, but then have the mind and and openness to explore and do different things, and especially to do it in an arranged piece where you're with other musicians that are of the the same mind. Even it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love it when that can work out because that's it's not something, especially like this, that happens a whole lot. You know, I mean, not to say that there aren't a lot of musicians like this, but it's it's rare that you get to hear it, you know, you know, put on on record, you know, like this in in this manner. You know, I've I've never really heard anything quite like this record. Yeah. Yeah. This record is a quartet. Um, Basically, it's trumpet, violin, accordion and bass. You know, the entire record is just that instrumentation. And just to make a jazz album with these instruments, but it's like you said, it creates so many different uh, influences coming in. And the music on this record is, uh, you know, you could come up with words like, you know, very intimate, um, you know, warm, uh, even quaint sometimes. Uh, uh, But it's other times explosive, sometimes mysterious, you know. Um, it just creates this whole sound world that permeates the entire record. Um, and the first, uh, track we're going to listen to is charms in the night sky. Uh, I'm going to play an excerpt from sort of towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, because one thing that really struck me was, uh, how the accordion is working in this tune. And towards the end, the accordion is playing these chords, like just accompanying chords. But they're really interesting, kind of crunchy chords, you know. Um, And the rhythm is like, uh, it sounds, the the accordion almost sounds like voices in the background. It's got this like breathe in, breathe out kind of rhythm in these sort of stark kind of harmonies that almost sound like human voices. and uh, the other thing I loved on this was Douglas's tone on the trumpet. You know, um, I mean, re- well, really, everyone's tone on this album is is gorgeous. You know, the whole thing is just so warm and lush and full. Yeah. And the recording yeah. is like really intimate the way it's engineered. So it feels yeah. like you're just kind of sitting right with them. And uh, yeah, 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 really, really cool arrangement. Um, just, just like you said, just the accordion and the trumpet and just everything, it, it all 
fits. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, the, just a very, very cool, you know, adventurous way to put a piece of music together. You know, like I said, unlike anything I've really kind of ever heard. And, um, you know, different in the sense to where I, I, I guess you, you would call this jazz, but it's, 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 it's so much, there's so much more atmosphere that I hear in this to where, you know, it, it's, it's like he, he totally wanted to get away from what, you know, you would consider to be comfortable as far as, you know, any kind of music listening. But still, you know, it's, it's a, I can appreciate it so much. Like I said, I, I've never thought of an accordion being, you know, an instrument, you know, that I would want to, you know, listen to like this. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's really different. You know, I mean, certain instruments, you know, like, like clarinet and bassoon, uh, you know, accordion, you don't really think of them too much, you know, outside of, you know, regular sort of traditional jazz or classical type pieces, you know. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, if, if you've got talent, you can take an instrument anywhere, you know. And, yes, and they, absolutely. They really seem to go in places where a lot of people don't, you know. I mean, I think that's one thing about this record that's that's really, really great is that yeah. it's, it's fresh and, it, and it's different, even though it's not a brand new record. Um, you know, I, I like the approach a whole lot. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. Let's check this first track out. This is Dave Douglas with Charms of the Night Sky. We just heard Charms of the Night Sky, and we're going to move on to our second track, Dance in Thy Soul. Uh, This one is a little hard to categorize. You know, it starts with this kind of, I don't know, classical gypsy klezmer kind of improvisation on the violin. 
Yeah. Just yeah. solo violin, you know, really going at it. Um, uh, and, and, you know, highly virtuosic, you know, a high energy kind of improvisation. And then that gives way to a sort of like a kind of a languid melody in the trumpet and accordion uh, over this really low drone in the bass. And mm-hmm. then it kind of throws those two things together, like juxtaposes those two things like sort of on top of each other. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to categorize this, you know? It's like this is one of those uh, genre-defying things. It's like, is what is this? You know, is this jazz? Is this classical? Is this, uh, is this klezmer? Is this, what is this, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely get a sense of kind of, you know, old style European, you know, folk music mixed mm-hmm. in here. Uh, yeah. But then, like you said, I mean, it, it goes in other directions. It definitely has a classical feel to it uh, at times, and then it has a jazz feel to it, which, I mean, I guess in a sense, you know, that that's fine. You know, as long as what I'm hearing sounds, you know, really good to me, I, I sort of don't care, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. about the categorization, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's hard to really put this. I mean, you, I, we want to call this jazz, but is it really? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I guess you know, <laughs> but yeah. it's it's really what it is. It's kind of like a collective type music where where you have a lot of things kind of laid together that just really work, you know, as far as the minds that are behind them, you know, and uh, that that that's always fun, you know, when yeah. when you have something like that that you know people can just kind of sit together and, and work it out to where, you know, it's, it is a mixture of things, which obviously, you know, we, we, we said that and it's, it seems like it really fits, you know, for whatever reason, you know? So. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, Tom moon categorizes this or describes it as chamber jazz. And, uh, that term is a sort of, a like a mash of classical and jazz. So chamber comes from chamber music. That's a classical term that describes music by small ensembles like string quartet or piano trio or something like that, that uh, would traditionally have been heard in like a small room, you know, like a very intimate setting kind of thing. And uh, that's, I think that's a pretty good description of this, you know, chamber jazz. Um, yeah definitely yeah it's really really innovative um you know uh, a mix of jazz and and classical and 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 folk and you know some other things too probably um and and there's just some instruments i mean like i said the when when we talked about the accordion on the previous song the, the accordion stuff on this record blows me away where you you hear some sounds coming from the accordion that that you you have to start start wondering like you thought there was some voices like human voices uh-huh. like is that is that the accordion making that sound you know i mean i mean it's really kind of trippy you know right right where, where you're like wondering you know how's he how's he doing that you know yeah yeah so yeah it's 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 cool in the sense where your your ears hear something that you you have to kind of focus and wonder is is that what i'm really hearing you know or yeah yeah so well, yeah, because I mean the the accordion, you know, just the way it works, you know, it it, you know, you're constantly pulling it apart and pushing it together, and what's happening is it's taking air and expelling air and taking mm-hmm. air. I mean, like a human breathing, you know, it's like yeah. breathing in and out, you know, and it's got this, 
yeah, this weird vocal like quality. So yeah, we'll hear that in the in the excerpt and yeah. Uh, yeah. So you want to check like, it out? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'd be cool. Cool. Let's uh, let's hear this excerpt from Dave Douglas, "Dance in Thy Soul." And we just heard Dance in Thy Soul. I'm going to move on to our second album, Nick Drake, Five Leaves Left, released in 1969. And I had heard uh, of Nick Drake. I've I've heard of Nick Drake for a long, long time, Um, but I never checked out his music. Um, I didn't know anything about him. For all all I knew, he was still alive. I didn't know anything about him. (laughs) Um, And... uh, you know, reading about him, whoa, what a tragic figure. Uh, yeah. You know, the sort of doomed romantic hero, I guess, as he's sort of been portrayed, you know, since his death in 1974. Um, and this was a person, I mean, just, a, you know, insanely talented, first of all. Um, oh, obviously yeah. brilliant person, but severely depressed with yeah. a very uh, you know uh, some severe uh you know emotional and mental issues um 
So yeah, well, we can you know talk about that. But you have heard of Nick Drake, you know, way before this. You were telling me. Yeah. Um, the the funny story about the way I first heard about Nick Drake, uh, where he really caught my attention, because I mean I had seen the the cover of Pink Moon and just kind of in passing was like, oh yeah, I know that, but I didn't know the music or the man or the story. But it was there was a Volkswagen commercial that came out in the early '90s, where it was a group of kids in a in a car, like a convertible car, driving down a highway, you know, kind of out in the country where there's no lights except for the stars and the moon. And I mean, it was such a good, you know, you know, kind of image to see these young kids, you know, twenty somethings driving and and the wind blowing their hair and they're just enjoying their night. And then looks like they get to their destination. And they pull up and they kind of sit there in the car for a minute, kind of look at each other like, you know, do we really want to go in here or do we just want to keep driving? I mean, it's just been such a good night. And then they back up <laughs> out of the place and then they just keep, you know, going down the road. And the song that was playing in the commercial was Nick Drake's Pink Moon. And that was really like the first time I like, you know, really sort of understood, you know, kind of where he was coming from, if that makes sense, you know, through that commercial. Uh, because of the you know the moody nature of a lot of his music and and the the beauty of it too, uh, like you said, I mean the guy was he was really really talented. I mean like like as far as the way he wrote music lyric wise and and actual playing, I mean was a, a tremendous musician as well as a vocalist. You know so um, you know that was like my first kind of sort of you know, coming up on him where I, I, I realized who wasn't. And after that kind of pursued, you know, learning about him. And then, you know, like you said, I, I didn't know at the time he had passed either, you know, but, um, you know, how his music kind of reflected maybe where his life was going to end up, you know, in, in some ways. Uh, and Pink Moon is like a great example of that. I mean, it's not on this album, but it's almost like a foretelling, you know, of, of his, you know, sort of demise, uh, if you yeah. listen kind of closely to the lyrics. So, yeah, just a, a really brilliant guy, brilliant artist who 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 passed way too soon. Um, and, um, yeah. you know, just just really some some really solid material on this record. When you listen to how stripped down some of it is, whereas there's not a lot. I mean, it's it's like a guitar and maybe a little percussion and his voice. But it's it. There's a lot of sound in just the little bit that's there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, his guitar playing is really great. I mean, he's a yeah. you know great singer, obviously a, a very gifted lyricist, and really a a, a great guitar player. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just a, you know, it's just an example of somebody who had enough mental problems and maybe lived in an era where they didn't really know how to deal with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just could not deal with life at all. Um, you know, he tried to go to college. He did not do well. He was, you know, really withdrawn, you know, introverted and stuff like that. And, uh, he eventually just sort of retreated to his parents' house and uh, just kind of lived there on his own terms and just sort of, you know, would sleep on this weird schedule and would just do 
just totally withdrawn, you know, wouldn't talk to anyone, um, severely depressed all the time. Uh, and you know, apparently would do stuff like would just kind of show up out of the blue at friends house, friends houses that he knew and, but wouldn't really talk, would just show up and then hang out and drink and smoke pot and listen to music and just would hang out there for two or three days and then just disappear. And they wouldn't see or hear from him again for, you know, four or five months. And, uh, you know, would do stuff like take his mom's car out and just drive around aimlessly until he ran out of gas and he would have to have to call his parents to come get him. And, um, was just didn't understand why he wasn't, uh, more popular as a musician. I think that was a large part of his depression because um, this is, I guess, this is you know, this is an important thing to mention. You know, when his when he was recording these albums and releasing them in the late '60s and early '70s, I mean, they were total flops. Mm-hmm. They didn't sell, you know, and uh, nobody knew who he was. And uh, I think that's something that ate at him. He didn't seem to understand why he wasn't you know, becoming successful and just all kinds of stuff. And, um, he eventually died of an apparent suicide, um, from an overdose of antidepressant pills, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Issues. I think he had issues definitely with sleeping where, you know, they're, they're still kind of, you know, people put that out where it's, it's like they, did they, did they think he he committed suicide or was it an accident? Right. You know, but, you know, either way, you know, it's still sad, you know, just, yeah, yeah. I, I think he was just a guy that he, he was probably just a little ahead of his time where, where music at the time, just, you know, the, the music buying public, if you will, yes. was not as receptive, you know, and then, you know, as, as years go by, you know, and people kind of look back, you know, to, to him as an influence. I mean, if you look, you know, at his, his Wikipedia page, they talk about R.E.M., the cure, you know, obviously, man, the cure big time. Mm-hmm. Uh the the Dream Academy, they, they there was this group, Dream Academy. That is a song called Life in the Northern Town. They, you know, apparently they were talking about how Nick Drake was a huge influence on them and that song, you know. And um, you know, he, he yeah. definitely, you know, had had a great talent. But just like you said, you know, just that that's something that some people did they can't like overcome that you know and then right. you know probably had some other issues outside of that where you know depression is a mother you know <laughs> I mean it's right. it, it it can make you a mess and, and it seemed like he was a mess you know for for a long period oh, yes. of time I mean just you know it's it's just really unfortunate you know that that he he really didn't get to enjoy you know any of his fame so to speak if right. you want to put right. that at this point you know but yeah. Uh, yeah, just a huge talent. I mean, the guy could write songs like like crazy and then, you know, like I said, this whole group of people now that that seem they they, they owe their careers. Um somebody another guy, um, Robin Hitchcock, he so reminds me of Nick Drake in a lot of ways, you know, just you know, he's a bit more kooky, but but he's, you know, great guitar player, great songwriter, can be really moody at times. Um you know, I would probably say that he's he's probably you know a fan of Drake as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you know definitely had a big influence on on him as well. Just yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah, you know, you were mentioning that some of his lyrics, you know, are kind of prophetic, you know, about what would happen to him. Um, Tom Moon points out one lyric in the book from a song from this album called Fruit Tree, where Nick Drake sings, uh, safe in your place, deep in the earth. That's when they'll know what you were really worth. Yeah. Then that messed up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, there's all kinds of little lyric, you know, chunks of lyrics like that through his music that of course, now when we listen to them, uh, after everything's happened, you know, uh, they seem really prophetic. Like, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, uh, anyway, the, the first song that we're going to listen to, um, it's called cello song. And, uh, you know, this song is just basically, you know, Nick Drake with his guitar, acoustic guitar, uh, one cello. Um, and also in this, you know, there was a percussion instrument. I thought sounded interesting. There are congas. Mm -hmm. So the person playing congas, which of course, you know, I, again, sort of like the, you know, the accordion, from the Dave Douglas, this instrument that's completely taken out of its cultural context, you know, congas being associated with a lot of Cuban music and stuff like that. Yeah. Or um, African music too. Yeah. And African, of course. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's in this just completely foreign, uh, setting, you know, but it gives it a really cool dimension. The song, yes. you know, something, this sound that, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, what'd you think of cello song? Well, I, I going back to the, the the talk about the congas, it it definitely helps set the mood of the song, yeah. and I think that's one thing about Nick Drake that was really important was mood in music, um, you know, and it's just the the style of of his guitar playing along with his vocal, you know, just it really worked for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. throughout his his career, I mean, what I've heard music wise. I mean, it's 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 almost like he's reading poetry when he sings in a lot of his songs, and this this kind of sounds like that. It, you know, it's just it's like a man who's who just had a, a lyrical, you know, sort of bent where he he just could write and write and write, you know, just brilliantly and play, you know, and um, you know, it's it's cool to hear the 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 mixture of of the cello in it as well, where yeah. you know it, it's. It's just like a, I don't know. He, he, like I said, he was just like somebody who was just kind of out of his own time, you know. Where he, yeah. The the age where he came up, you know, just people were not ready, you know. And it's not to say that he, you know, he didn't have anything to offer. He had plenty, you know. But it was just at a time where things were just so so different. I mean, you know, I'm sure just, you know, it's it's the early '70s, late '60s, you know. Obviously, you know. Zeppelin, Beatles, and Hendrix, and right, right, and all that stuff, and and then you have Nick Drake, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just unfortunate. I, I still, am, I'm glad that now people know, you know, obviously who he is, and yeah, and you know, he, his his music gets played in so many different movies. That was another thing. I, I went to this movie, um, I saw this movie years ago. It's called Garden State, and that was another oh, movie yeah. that had it had a Nick Drake song in it called One of These Things First. And I mean, when the, when the guitar played, even before he started singing, it, it almost instantly in my head popped up. I was like, man, that sounds like Nick Drake. And then you hear his voice. You know, he just had this kind of sound, you know, that was that was all his, you know. Yeah. And um, 
it's 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 really cool now like i said to see that he's he's sort of like a legend but it had to happen you know you know unfortunately after his his passing but yeah anyway yeah yeah man um let's check well let's check this out cool this is nick drake with cello song just heard cello song we're going to move on to three hours um you know some things i just jotted down from listening to this i love the guitar in this i mean really excellent guitar work and guitar mm-hmm. and bass work both um you know the the musical accompaniment in this one to me is really compelling i imagine it would be really difficult to play and sing at the same time and yeah. it rhythmically it plays with your head because it sort of shifts, you know, back and you're not really sure where the downbeat is a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, it just moves it, around. Yeah, it moves <laughs> around. Yeah, in sort of this this weird uh, organic kind of way. And uh, I'm thinking the whole time listening to it, I'm thinking, you know, how does the bass player like sync with this guitar? It's it's really tough to uh to get your head around it just kind of messes with your head when you listen to it but um i just thought it was a really cool piece yeah 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 i agree i mean you you listen to him play nick drake and you know another thing about him playing he he taught himself how to play 
first of all. And then apparently he was obsessive about practicing where he, you know, he would play sometimes all day long and, um, you know, got to a point where, you know, he could just, you know, just ramble off chords and, and, and go back and forth like like we hear in this song and, and kind of keep it all together. And, um, you know, he's he was an extraordinarily talented guitar player as, as well as obviously a writer. Yeah. And this is just a, a fun example of, of his playing style um, that, you know, kind of helped set him apart from a lot of people, you know, you know, kind of in the same vein, you know, that were, I guess you consider folk style players. But but he, he could really, really strum his guitar. I mean. <laughs> yeah. And sure. just the fact that he taught himself is is pretty cool. I mean, you know, he, he just just one of those guys that just had just a drive, I guess, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, this is a really cool song. Yeah. Cool, man. Let's check this out. Cool. This last one from Nick Drake. This is Three Hours.
And we just heard Three Hours by Nick Drake. And we're going to move on to our last album for this show, Dr. Dre the Chronic, released in 1992. Um, you know, I, I can't remember which show it was, but you sort of told a story about this. But I, I'd like you to sort of retell it about when it first came in and you know, when you first kind of saw this when it was released. Oh, yeah. Oh, the crowd when the album first came out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, when we worked um, music retail and I worked a warehouse in the back, uh, we would always get our new music on Fridays that would come out on Tuesday. And uh, when the chronic came in and UPS or whatever dropped it off, we had one CD and one cassette. <laughs> and I, yeah. I thought to myself, even then, I was like, I don't think this is going to be enough, you know. You know, little did I know, you know, how, you know, huge that album would be. And and even before the album had come out, you know, I had all these people coming in asking about um, when's the new Snoop Dogg coming out. And I I had no idea who Snoop Dogg was at the time. I was like, Snoop Dogg. And I was like, nah, I don't see a new Snoop Dogg record, but uh, we'll keep looking. And th- I mean, this is what it was. I mean, people, you know, were were anxious to hear, you know, this new rapper at the time, you know, Snoop Doggy Dog, who, you know, Dre had brought up uh, from Long Beach, you know, and it was just weird that that album came out kind of with the expectations it did from really the whole industry. Because, I mean, that's that's another funny thing to look back at how rap music was, especially get what we what you would call street rap or gangster rap back then in the early 90s, as opposed to now, you know. Yeah, that it, it really did not have a lot of the the respect or or people didn't even take it as seriously, especially in the music industry. I mean, you know, people thought that it would just be kind of like a splinter type thing that, you know, mostly people in the hood would buy. And man, were they wrong? <laughs> yes, they were. Um, so that that's kind of a funny story to look back at. You know, no one really knew. I think I don't even think Dre knew how big this would be. I mean, as far as the way records would be, you know, kind of looked at the way they sounded as far as the production. I mean, that's another issue where Drake, you know, was, was, was behind the production of this record and the way the beats and the tracks sounded. I mean, he was the type of guy that was never really satisfied with the way rap records sounded at the time, you know, where, you know, you could kind of hear the graininess of a lot of the records that were sampled or whatever tracks he wanted to clean that up. And sometimes even if he had to replay a track, which that was something that a lot of people weren't doing either, where you would actually have musicians come in the studio, you know, or or, or a certain musician, a single person, sometimes Dre himself, who would sit with a drum machine and a keyboard and replay like an old Funkadelic song, you know, or a Parliament song. Yeah. And then just and just make it sound a lot more fresh and, and crisp. And it was really a, a groundbreaking record in that sense, too, where, you know, you had two guys, you know, really talented rappers and Snoop for sure. You know, it was, you know, that was just it was the, the world was so ready for Snoop. We talk about how Nick Drake, nobody was really ready for Nick Drake. Oh, yeah, they were ready for Snoop. <laughs> they were they yeah. were very ready for Snoop Dogg. I mean, he he was. He was somebody that that he came at just the right time. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny to look back at that and into the now where 
where now we're talking about Dre possibly, you know, going on to be a multi-billionaire. That's um, crazy. It's... With the sale of his uh, his uh, his headphone brand. Uh, just... Well, selling yeah, selling the Beats brand to Apple, which sold to Apple for three billion dollars with a B. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I was I was saying before the show started, like. You know, uh, Straight Outta Compton came out, I think, when I was about a sophomore in high school, maybe a freshman, I don't know. Yeah, like 86, 87. And yeah. And to think back then that this guy would eventually be a billionaire. Yeah. I mean, just, not, not just a billionaire, just but a just crazy a crazy thought. Yeah. A, a guy who really, really has stepped away from making music uh-huh. all together. I yeah. mean, he. He does a little bit here and there, but for the most part, he's he's retired, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I I'm I'm really amazed. I I'm glad for the guy because he he deserves a lot of this. I mean, he deserves most of what has happened to him because because some of it is just luck where where the industry was just you know kind of poised to to make a move here, and and the public was just hungry for something that had never really been made like this before, you know, where yeah. I guess you would call, call gangster rap or G-Funk, however you want to look at it as, you know, it, it set the trend for music, you know, for the next two decades yeah. well, in I, a lot of senses. So. I think at the time he, he saw that because, you know, uh, when, when we look back at uh, Straight Outta Compton, the NWA album, yeah. you know, most of that is, um, as far as like its subject matter and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's along the kind of the same lines as the Chronic, but yeah. there's that one track that always bothered me. Um, Express yourself. <laughs> so it's like completely opposite from the entire rest of the record. It's obviously this attempt at making something radio friendly, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they're all talking. It's very upbeat, and they're talking about how they never smoke weed and all this stuff. While the entire rest of the album is about how they do smoke weed and do all this stuff. So, you know, that track was always like, what? You know, Um, but on this, it's like on the chronic, it's like full steam ahead. There's none of that. Yeah. And it's like it's like he knew this is the direction that it's going. There's no need to make another express yourself track. There's no need for that anymore. Yeah. 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 The embracing of of the G funk culture was, was definitely on this record. Um, I mean, that, that's another funny thing too, is that at the time, you know, there were a lot of groups that they would kind of hint at that where, where they talked about smoking weed and, and, and it was just a time and an era where, you know, artists like Dre and then Cypress Hill and some other groups, they're like, you know what, bump this We're we smoke weed. We're proud of it. If you don't like it, it's too bad. You know, it's it's just the truth. I mean, and that was one thing he he was like, you know, we just have to make a record where we tell the truth about what yeah. goes on the streets, how we view, you know, you know, quote unquote these hoes, and you know, and then the life of you know a so called gangster where you know people would get shot up and and locked up, and you know, it was. It was it was just life on the West Coast. I mean, right. especially where, where they were from, from Compton and Long Beach and you know, it, around Los Angeles it was it was hell. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it was just interesting to kind of see, 
you know, him come up and then have a bunch of other people, obviously, afterwards, especially Eminem, you know, come after him and just totally, you know, take over music, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, you know, it's just, I mean, I never, I never would have imagined, you know, yeah. Dre yeah. Would, would, would do what he did. And then, and then this record just, it was just the start, you know, from, from where he was from NWA, because that's another interesting story too, where it was a time that he left NWA, you know, where they were kind of at their peak because he knew that, you know, being with easy, you know, it was kind of like two alpha dogs there, you know, they're not going to really last much longer together as, as the group gets popular. And then he, he rolled out and then there was this kind of beef between them. And, and that comes up on this record a lot too, where he, you know, the, the time that with ruthless records, you know, that Dre had was obviously really successful, but his move to death row records and, and then hooking up with Suge Knight, you know, at, at the time would seem like it was just a really brilliant move, you know, where, where Dre was about to become, you know, this this huge artist with death row mm-hmm. you know while while things were you know at ruthless records were kind of going in the opposite direction because of him leaving and ice cube leaving too and it's just one of those things where it was it was cool to kind of see that whole thing kind of play out you know and and have the chronic be as successful as it was and and to kind of have the west coast you know, sort of in the spotlight where New York was usually like, you know, rap mecca. Yeah. Now you have somebody in, you know, from Los Angeles, from from the the West Coast area that has a lot to say, you know, and it, it had a lot of people behind him and a lot of fans and, you know, and it just, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of see that jump off of where that beef started, the whole East Coast, West Coast thing yeah. and Tupac yeah, yeah. gets in the mix and, it's like I said, it was just the, the beginning, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's what's fun to look back at this record. And like I said, obviously seeing Snoop very young, you know, before, it, you know, um, you know, 213 days, I guess, where because 213 was like a group where it was Snoop Dogg, uh, Warren G and and um, Nate Dogg, where they were like together. And that was that was funny too. that have people come in looking for 213 records after the chronic got really huge because that was just like an independent thing. And I'm like, you know, and we're people are looking, who's Warren G? Who's Nate Dawn? And so all these rappers kind of start, started, you know, blowing up after this record came out, you know, Daz and Corrupt and, yeah, you know, all these people that are on it. It's, you know, it's, it's cool to just reminisce and think, you know, it started so small, you know, seemingly, yeah, yeah. you know. But anyway, well, I mean, you've mentioned like a lot of other rappers, and that's one, another thing we haven't talked about. Is, um, I mean, Dr. Dre, you know, obviously he's a rapper, he's a producer, um, he's an entrepreneur, you know, uh, obviously a brilliant businessman and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. But he's also, you know, was and is an incredible talent scout, really. Yeah. Sort of like the, <laughs> I guess, sort of like the Art Blakey of rap, you know, like he's. <laughs> He, he he's very good at finding t- talent like the right people these people that are super talented and and unique and different and stuff and bringing them in and sort of launching their careers yeah yeah and this, uh yeah yeah he's a he's an extraordinary extraordinary scout i would definitely agree like going going back to eminem finding a guy a white guy from detroit who 
who winds up kind of being in a lot of people's minds maybe one of the greatest rappers if not the greatest rapper to ever come along which some people don't really like saying that because of you know Eminem being like I said a white guy but if you listen to him he's just like extraordinarily talented I mean as far as like a rapper and especially a battle rapper you know he's a beast <laughs> I yeah. mean he's extraordinarily creative and and like exhaustive where he seems to not ever give up you know um and 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 it's just like you said dre is just one of those guys that took a chance on eminem where a lot of people probably wouldn't have you know 50 cent another one um just uh yeah dre has an extraordinary legacy that we could yeah we could probably spend the whole show talking about him and yeah and what he's been through and in his life and up to now and but anyway it's it's more focused on the chronic of course which yeah yeah. you know like i said just it's fun to think back to that record and how like i said the industry was and how people still didn't really want to take rap seriously you know especially rap like this that that we're still really kind of under attack in a lot of ways, you know, for, you know, being blamed for violence and, and killing and all that. And a lot of people like uh, C. Dolores Tucker, which I don't know if you remember her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was this lady who, you know, uh, tried to get with, you know, politicians and stuff to basically stop record companies from releasing rap uh. records period she's another tipper gore type. <laughs> yeah she was yeah. big time like tipper gore but worse where i mean she went directly after you know the 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 gangster rappers for for sure i mean she was she was dead set on having them you know some of them locked up and all this other crazy stuff and i mean it was just an issue where you know the the freedom of speech for people to say and do what they want on record you know it's obviously protected but you know, she tried to make them like these these devils, you know, that, you know, you, you can't say this or that or the other. And, you know, my, my thing with that is if you don't like it, don't buy it. <laughs> you know, it's it's just that simple. There's stuff that I don't want to hear or watch on TV. I, I don't watch it, you know. Right, right. And the thing about the issue with violence, I mean, especially in the United States, way before there was any kind of medium to play music on, there's been violence here. So. Sure. You know, just you know, we can just stop all that. It's right. It's it's just you well, know, ju- just like with Tipper Gore and the PMRC. You know, like the music became an easy target. You know, to sort of, uh, you know, blame the woes of society and all this stuff on. And you know, of exactly. course, it was yeah. total BS. You know, but, um, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about, but um, yeah, we should probably focus on on the record. Um, yeah, I, ironically, and I just thought about this: the Chronic was released. It's almost like the anniversary of its release. It came out on December fifteenth of nineteen ninety two. Oh man! So, so yeah, we're recording this. We're we're sort of ahead of schedule, so because we're recording this on December thirteenth. So uh, we're two days away, yeah, from the anniversary. Really ironic. I, I didn't. I didn't yeah. realize that until just now. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. I just, um, you know. Oh, one like thing I, said, I wanted to ask you. Uh, you know all the the skits on this album. Oh yeah. <laughs> Where there there's some of them really funny, like the twenty dollar sack pyramid and all stuff, and all these 
names like Bootneely Farnsworth and stuff like this. I mean, that some some of them are really funny. Was this a, I mean, was this a new thing or was this something that existed in on rap records? Oh yeah, skits are skits are they go back to Three Feet High and Rising. Um, I mean, that was that was like one of the first records where I I mean I'd listen to a record that dropped skits in the middle where you would like turn and go, what the hell? You know, <laughs> so yeah, people have been doing skits there for a while. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's, it's fun because, you know, it's, it's basically some, you know, it's almost like comedy, you know, where you, you kind of have in, in between stuff to laugh at and laugh about, you know, there's skits on, um, sort of on straight out of Compton too, uh, where, where you have little stuff at the beginnings of songs where easy would talk, mm-hmm. um, and it's just that's another thing too about voices. I mean, Dre has one of those voices, you know, where he he just he just has this prolific sound, even if he's just talking. You know, Easy Easy E had that too, where he kind of had this almost high pitched mm-hmm. type voice, but he would he would just cuss like a drunken sailor. You know, I mean, just just hard. You know, you know, real disrespectful, mean. You know, nasty cussing and. Um, you know that that's one thing about Dre too. That I think that his his voice. You know when he when he just speaks about stuff. You know he just has one of those voices that that's it's so identifiable. Like from the jump. You know Snoop as well. You know they. That's the thing about a rapper when you when you have a style of rapping and especially the way your voice sounds. You know that can be just as much a part of of everything. Uh, Q Tip from a tribe called Quest. Same thing. He he's just got one of those voices that's so distinguishable, like from the beginning, where you, yeah. you automatically know who it is. And you know, Dre and Snoop both had that with this record, you know, where their voices just they you know, you automatically could could kind of click to them, you know, and, and, and vibe off of them, you know, just from the way their voices sounded. Um and uh just the way this record was produced and, and, and put together, still I, I like to go back to that. It was I think Dre's mind from the beginning to where I don't want to call him an audiophile, but he I think he had this this desire for records just to sound better, especially rap records on this level where he didn't want them to sound grimy and dirty anymore. You know, where you, you could almost hear like the 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 popping and the clicking of the old record. Mm-hmm. He wanted to clean all that up. And, you know, it's it's still like, you know, not like the quality of records that he would do now but for for then it was it was more advanced i think in, in the yeah. way it sounded to where he he was just you know starting to kind of warm up his production and engineering chops if you will so yeah yeah um yeah the first track that we're going to listen to is nothing but a g thing and uh there's a couple samples they're used on this at least um I want to do something freaky to you by Leon Haywood and uphill by Frederick Knight. Um, who I don't know these artists, but you might. Yeah, definitely. I, I want to do something freaky to you that I knew that song for, for years and years, but the other one, I, I didn't really catch, you know, the original, you know, and then when they replayed it in this, you, you kind of go back and, and, and pull that sample. But yeah, the, the 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 base tr- the basic track to you know the Leon Haywood song I, I knew that song because it was one of those kind of like I don't want to say disco songs it was more a soul but it was kind of like a song to where it was like you know obviously from the title you know it was like you know let's hook up type so <laughs> uh, yeah 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 and um 
you know, it's it's cool that that Dre is a fan of old soul music, because even though this is, I mean, what people would consider gangster rap, it, it obviously has, you know, some major soul hooks and funk hooks yes. throughout <laughs> this record. I mean, Dre is one of those guys that I, I bet his record collection is it's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I bet I'm he's sure. Got some records. When you go through and look at his record collection, it'll blow your mind. We're like, man, look at this shit. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's got some some awesome actual vinyl records still that that would just make you kind of like you know go. I, I could look through this all day. You know, and um, it, it was cool the way he would kind of layer tracks together, and then like I said, clean them up to where you know they didn't sound like old records playing you know it just sounded like a yeah. like a fresh track you know and um you know he was just one of those guys that um could really sample stuff and make it seem brand new and not like an old record you know um like i said even if he had to replay you know a track like on like on dre day where he he said he kind of samples uh Funkin' for Jamaica from Tom Brown, but it's it's not the record. It's like an actual keyboard and drum track, right? Right. Replaying that song, and um, that's interesting. You know, you know, so that's interesting that he, yeah, he sort of recreates the samples. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah I think he went on to kind of influence like like guys like Jermaine Dupree who produced uh, for a, a record label he had called So So Deaf, where where he re he would replay songs almost note for note but he would actually have a band you know with bass and guitar and, yeah and sometimes drums and i mean it would sound really slick and really fresh uh organized noise who you know produce with outcasts and goody mob same thing you know where they they would replay stuff and i i think dre just kind of set helped set a trend you know where he would influence people you know on through just to to kind of go ahead and, and do that especially when it came to bringing back old soul music, which so much of, of it had been forgotten, you know, and uh, it was just cool to kind of have it come back, you know, through a lot of young rappers, you know, that, that, you know, love the music, so to speak. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, nothing but a G thing. So you just posted this video to our Facebook page. <laughs> it had been forever since I had seen it. Um, and <laughs> I, you know, it kind of goes on. It's sort of like a, it starts with a sort of like a sort of realist depiction, I guess, of life. And, you know, he's going to Snoop Dogg's house and picking him up. But then it sort of changes to this kind of, uh, you know, what I would think would be like a sort of idealized <laughs> uh sort of i don't even know what you'd call it like a big it looks like a, little, like a little get together like a little party and yeah uh, the, the part of that video that i love is the guy at the barbecue pit with the gun <laughs> in his in his waistband I, that's that is awesome i was just like you know why is he why is he packing a gun i guess it's like you know why not i mean it's just the the way it is you know i was just like you know he's cooking by the barbecue pit, but he has a gun in his waistband, <laughs> you know. And I mean that that's just one of those things that just you know, you think back is just, you know, that's just how how people roll, you know. It was just like, you know, we're having fun, but you know, 
it could get real serious in any minute, <laughs> you know. And uh, the the cars, man, that that's one thing about that yeah, video. Yeah. Is, man, the Impala is all tricked out, and uh, that was a that was a fun period because, like you, like I said, it was just the the West Coast kind of coming out and, and showing what what they were all about. And this is kind of also before like Southern rappers really kind of started to to show up. Because I mean, you always you always kind of had the Ghetto Boys and some other guys from the South, but you know this is like pre master P and all that. Yes, it was, yes. it was just fun to see like the West come and then the South come. And then, you know, all these other rappers from wherever kind of, you know, represent where they were from and not everything just be all East coast or New York based. And, you know, that was, that was interesting, you know, like yeah. just an interesting period to see all that kind of develop. So, yeah. But, yeah. And this track was also for, for many people, uh, the introduction to Snoop Doggy Dog. Yep. yep. Uh, this is the first time that many people had seen and heard him. He looks so young in this he video. Did. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> looks like a kid. I mean, I'm sure he was pretty much, you know, um, yep. I'm not sure how old he was, but you know, I think he was about 18 years old. Yeah. He that's what I'm saying. He looks, he looks like he's about 18. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. And, um, and very, very talented. I mean, still very talented. I mean, He's one of those guys, that just like Dre too. I'm glad is still around. You know, yeah. A lot of yeah. a lot of rappers aren't obviously for different reasons, but it's just good to see them both. You know, able to kind of still do what they do, and um, after all these years, and uh, but uh, yeah, this this is a. It was fun to look at, look at that video again. I hadn't I hadn't really watched it in a long time in myself, and uh, you know, just watching people in the hood do what they do every day. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on the weekends, and you know, get together and and you know, shoot a video if you will. <laughs> right. You know, um, yeah, it was it was it was cool to look back at that and, and think about all that's transpired since then. So. Yeah, cool, man. Well, let's check this out. First track from Dr. Dre. This is nothing but a G thing. <laughs> To the folks, Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low death niggas, so we're crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfatable, so please don't try to fake this. But uh, back to the lecture at hand. Perfection is perfected, so I'ma let them understand. From a young G's perspective And before me digger the bitch I have to find a contraceptive You never know she could be earning her man And learning her man And at the same time burning her man Now you know I ain't with that shit lieutenant Ain't no pussy good enough to get burned while I'm offended yeah. And that's realer than real deal Holy feel And now you hookers and hoes know how I feel Well if it's good enough to get broke off a proper chunk I take a small piece of some of that funky stuff It's like this and like that and like this and uh It's like that and like this and like that and uh, it's like this and like that and like this and uh, Drake creep to the mic like a fan Well I'm peeping and I'm creeping and I'm creeping But I damn near got caught Cause my beeper kept beeping Now it's time for me to make my impression felt So sit back, relax and strap on your seatbelt You've never been on a ride like this before With a producer who can rap and control the maestro At the same time with the dope rhyme that I kick You 
know and I know I flow some old funky shit To add to my collection This selection symbolizes dope Take a tote but don't choke If you do, you have no clue Of what me and my homie Snoop Dogg came to do It's like this and like that and like this and uh It's like that and like this and like that and uh It's like this and who gives a fuck about those? So just chill to the next episode And we just heard nothing but a G thing, and we're going to move on to rat tat tat tat. So this one, uh, you know, this one's pretty dark. You know, it it, it sort of um, just blatantly kind of lays out a lot of the violence that they had to experience and, and was sort of around them in, you know, in that area that they grew up in and, um, it, you know, it starts with this, uh, sample from this movie called the Mac, mm-hmm. um, which this movie was, came out in 1973, starred Max Julian and Richard Pryor. Um, I, I've never, I don't know. I've never seen it. Have I, you ever I, seen I the have, Mac? I have a video tape of the Mac, like the, the like the actual video. I'm, I'm looking over to see if I. Cause I'm in a room where, where my music is. I'm, I'm pretty sure I still have that on VHS. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah the Mac is a, it's a movie about a, a guy, Max Julian, who, who, who's like a pimp, not like a pimp. He is a pimp that, um, you know, it's kind of like at a, at a crossroads, you know, where, you know, he's, he's considering how the, the so-called pimp game is changing. And does he want to keep being a pimp or, you know, cause if he was, when he was the, the, on the top, he was the best, you know, but now he's like talking about how things are changing. And I mean, it's, it's an old movie, but it's a good movie. Um, and it, it's, it's fun to, to hear when they splice in like little bits and pieces from movies like that. And, uh, you think back to, you know, how movies, especially in the seventies used to be. It starts with this, uh, thing from that movie, the Mac. And then he also uses a vegetable wagon by Donnie Hathaway, Brother's Gonna Work It Out by Willie Hutch and Potbelly by Lou Donaldson. Again, artists that I don't know. Do you know any of these artists? Yeah, definitely Brother's Gonna Work It Out. Uh, uh, that's from, that's like Willie Hutch's, he did the whole soundtrack for the Mac. And, okay. Um, Lou Donaldson, um, he's been sampled like <clears throat> quite a bit. Uh, he had a song that he did, I think it was a like a version of, of Tramp that he did. That's been, it's like one of the most sampled songs ever. <laughs> like oh you, really if you hear the 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 drum beat or whatever the loop from that song you'll recognize it like right away i'll, I'll go i'll go find it i, I should have pulled up who sampled for for this record but i i just i was slipping but uh yeah that's uh like i said one of those things about this record that it's fun to see dre kind of go through and um pull different influences from here to there yeah to make the sound for this record come out the way it does. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I loved about this track is um, just the basic beat that he gets creates a really, I don't know, just a really cool um, play, like interplay between the, the rhythms of the rap and this basic rhythm of the beat. This is kind of different. And I think I lost Mitch. Okay, are you there? All right, yeah, I'm. I'm here. My 
my wife called me on the phone. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. She and then what's funny too? She's like, you know, oh, I dialed the wrong number. Are you podcasting? So I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just like, I'm so sorry. I was like, oh, it's okay, honey. It's, you know, yeah, I'm still recording. So anyway, that's no big deal. <laughs> I thought she was gonna call you and do some kind of D's nuts prank, maybe. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's that's a, that is a funny skit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, I was just saying, you know, about the basic beat. I really like it and how it creates a cool uh, juxtaposition and very cool cross rhythms between the, you know, the rap rhythms and against that, you know, basic beat is really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, this, you know, Snoop was, uh, he was just one of those rappers that he, he came to just the right time where, his, his style of rapping and the sound of his voice, people just totally jumped on on what he was doing. And I mean, really, he's in a lot of ways he's the star of this record. I mean, just I mean, obviously Dre is, you know, it's his record, but Snoop was one that really shined on this record more than anybody else. Uh, I mean, it just it was just kind of his sort of, you know, you know, precursor or whatever to the next record he did. You know, where you know, Doggy Style. And, um, you know, that was, I remember when that came out, the anticipation yeah. for Doggy Style, when that came out, it was, it was massive. It came out, I think, I want to say it was right before Christmas. And, you know, that was, that was one of those records. That, I mean, I, I remember the anticipation and the buildup for that record was, was really, really major. And, uh, that has to be one of the most anticipated first records ever. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, say. yeah. Yeah, I would say it was. I mean, it, you know, it it, it just kind of went on from there, you know, where, you know, all these other artists, you know, especially on Death Row, you know, came after that, and, um, you know, it's like I said, it's it's a fun, it's a fun period to look back at, you know, even the cover where, you know, if you if you look at the cover, anybody that 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 knows about the whole zigzag thing, the the cover of the Chronic is like a, a rapper, like a zigzag rapper. You know where you you we roll roll up marijuana cigarettes or whatever, and they instead of having the the guy there that looks like Jesus or whatever, they have Dre's face there. <laughs> um, you know that was another funny thing too about about that record where they just they just kind of played at at the whole idea of you know what people thought about smoking marijuana up to that point, especially and and not just marijuana but the chronic, which is not your your typical marijuana. It was like this marijuana that you know, was like, it was like heavy duty, <laughs> you know, like potent, you know, where it was, you know, it wasn't your, your dad's marijuana or, or your granddad's marijuana. It was something a whole nother level, which, you know, like I said, right. that was, that was something too, that, that a lot of people just, you know, kind of were, were taken aback by, you know, or it was a whole different mindset, you know, and, uh, you know, like I said, it's, I'm I'm glad for for Dre. I'm I'm glad for you know his success. You know I I, I still think he's got so much to do, so much that he wants to do. I, I guess I should say that may still happen. I mean you know as far as him actually putting out a re- another record on his own. Yeah. You know, Detox is a record that people have talked about for years and years and years that that may come out and may not come out. You know I think he's just one of those guys now that he's he's got so much other things going on 
you know, and, and I'm sure he's got material, you know, that he's he's recorded because I mean his last record it's it's been a long time, you know. Yeah. But um. Anyway. Well, um, he's a billionaire now, so I'm yep. sure he can go at his own pace and do whatever he wants. At this I, point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he's not worried about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would seriously doubt that he he has much to worry about. Yeah. You know, just, just yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, let's check out this last track from Dr. Dre, The Chronic. This is Rat Tat Tat Tat. <laughs> Can I get those in? Hey, nigga, pay this nigga here. What's up? I ain't got your here. Well, yo, check this out, nigga. What's up, bro? What's up? What's up? You don't want just heard rat tat 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 and that's going to do it for the 1000 recordings podcast episode 64 if you'd like to send us an email please do at 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can join us on twitter our handle is at 1000 rp you can join us on facebook and interact with us and watch stuff and listen to stuff that we post yeah and uh you can also support the podcast in a couple different ways. The first way is you can support us directly by going to patreon.com slash 1000rp and donating a certain amount of money per episode, and that will greatly help us in purchasing the music and keeping up our servers and our equipment and everything else so we can uh, continue to bring these uh, episodes to you. The other way is to go to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review, and we will review, uh, sorry, read that review on the podcast if you do that. Um, 
no matter if it's a good one or a bad one. We've actually never had a bad one. It's all been good. So, uh, but if you want to leave us a bad one, you can. That's co that's okay. Um, and next time on the podcast, we have to look forward to Doctor John. John. Yep. Gregory. Um, Doris Duke. And the Ziegfeld, Ziegfeld, sorry, Ziegfeld Follies of 1936, um, which is sort of a musical uh, by Vernon Duke and Ira Gershwin. Yeah, that should be good. Yeah, that, that should be interesting. So, um, yeah, anything uh, you want to say before we go? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I think I'm good. Um, just uh, good to do another show. Um, hope everybody has a good week. Um, it's raining here in Houston. I wish it would stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we need the rain, whatever, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, I'm cool. cool. All right, man. Well, until next time, we will bring you more from Tom Moon's book, 1000 Recordings of Here Before You Die. Later, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>